Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Stewardship Leader. I'm your host, Leo Sabo, and I have the pleasure today of having two friends of the ministry. We have with us Dwayne McNally and Tim Dietrich. And Tim's been with us before, so if you want to hear him on the passion he has for stewardship and generosity and his work with Mortarstone, I would love for you to go back and listen to that episode. But gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today and talk about a topic that I think our audience will really, really benefit from. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Leo. Thank you. Well, I would love for you, both of you to just give us a brief introduction so that our audience knows who you are, a little bit of your background, what's brought you to be working at Mortarstone and doing what you're doing today. Tim, why don't we start with you? And then if you would, Duane, also share. Sure. Thanks, Leo. Um, my name is Tim Dietrich, and uh, for 35 years, I served as a senior pastor in churches um, <clears throat> in Missouri, Texas, Arkansas, and Iowa. Uh, about four years ago, I made a transition to start working with Mortarstone just based on my experience as a pastor uh, by helping people make gifts from their illiquid assets. So currently, my role at Mortarstone is Director of Giver Engagement. Uh, I am responsible for the content development, uh, the teaching. I do some preaching in churches. Uh, thought leadership is another one of my roles, as well as directly working one-on-one -on -one with churches uh, who are coaching clients. Awesome. And thanks, Leo, as well. And and uh, I have the opportunity to partner with Tim on a day-to-day -day basis, which is always a blessing. But uh, for my background, I had a 30-year career in IT and software uh, God called me out of that to go step into serving as an executive pastor at my home church. And so, and last summer, God said, there's more for me to do. And he actually aligned my passion for the church, my passion for IT and software with my passion for generosity and stewardship and brought me to, uh, to Mortarstone, where I get to be the chief of operations for the organization. And so lead, uh, lead a bunch of the team and helping us figure out how do we uh, crack the code and, and connect with churches to help them transform their giving and their givers for uh, the kingdom. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for introducing yourselves. But also what I love about what both of you shared is just how God has worked in your life and brought you to this place, which is, which is always the case, isn't it? He doesn't waste anything. He always builds us up until we're ready for the next assignment and the next assignment. So I'm so grateful for both of you because I believe your gifting is really serving the church well. And if one of you would please just give us a brief intro of Mortarstone. I know a lot of our audience knows who you guys are and what you do, but if you just explain that for some of our new listeners, who is Mortarstone? What do you guys do? I'll just start off with the fact that Mortarstone was founded in 2012 by a couple guys who made the decision that, that the church actually was doing a lot more by intuition than by data. And really, their desire was to help churches grow in the area of stewardship and, and giving. And so they built a software package, which is called Mortarstone, and provides incredible insight and analytics that helps churches understand who, what's going on in their giving. And actually, as we dig into this data today, you'll see some of the things that we talk about quite a bit, but uh, really just help them with that. But also, we've also added, and as Tim said, giver engagement. We want to help churches engage with the givers to help those those givers grow and to challenge them to move beyond just a cash flow basis into a total asset basis conversation. And so our total solution package looks at both the analytics from understanding what's going on to taking a broader look at how to engage people to get out of um, their focus and the reliance on their own assets into trusting God and releasing them into the kingdom. Yeah. So you guys have kind of the practical tools to help ministries, churches specifically, engage with givers to help them disciple their people, 
right, in the area of finances yep. and and help line up God's voice and God's word uh, that He's speaking to these individuals, um, so that they are accomplishing their purpose and using those resources as God intended. So I love that. We started talking a, a while back, uh, Dwayne. You and I started talking about something you guys began to work on, which is a an annual generosity report. And we've, you know, we know that there there's others out there. There's some that we've done with incorporation with other organizations, and they're wonderful. They're great because it gives us insight into what's going on so that, as you said, we're not making decisions on intuition or false understanding, but actual facts. And that's so important for churches to have that. So if you don't have some kind of tracking software like Mortarstone, we do encourage you as a church leader, you need to know what's happening. Not because you want to know what each individual person's giving, but you need to know the health of your congregation and financial health and whether they're giving and invested in the kingdom of God is an indication of their spiritual engagement with the church. Are they trusting God with their money and are they trusting the church and in the mission that the church has? And I hope if they're members of a church that your church, uh, that they do so. And if not, then that's an opportunity for you to find out where's the hangup, where's the where's the disconnect, and how can I help my people be fully in, you know, into God's kingdom and in a relationship with God. But you and I, Duane, started talking about this because you guys were putting together a report that is uniquely different. So I'd like you to start first by telling us what's different about this report than other reports that are out there. Not because we're trying to compare, but there is a distinct difference that I think our folks need to understand. Thanks, Leo. And I think one of the things, and you t- you and I talked about this at one point in time, is the fact of in today's world, most organizations and especially churches are data rich, information poor. And if you're information poor, that leads you to be insight bankrupt. Wow. And one of the things that we're really trying to do with this report is to actually take the wealth of data that we have and make it available as information so that churches can have deep insight to take action from. And so the key to this report, which I believe is different than almost everything else, is the fact that it's not survey-based, it is actual data-based. And so as we've taken a look at all the customers that we support, we've identified a subset of 331 churches that we've got consistent data for from 2018 to 2023. And so out of those 331 churches with over almost 12 million households and over uh, $14 billion worth of giving, we're pulling the best insights that we can to identify trends and issues that we believe the churches, that we as churches need to be dealing with. And so this is, so that's what we believe is really different about this is the fact that it is a very factual based, it's based upon real data from real churches and it's not data that, uh, you know, we're not exposing individual churches or individual givers, but we're actually going deep into understanding what are the core trends that are impacting churches today. Yeah, and Leah, one of the pieces behind the vision of this report, uh, Dwayne and I were talking the other day, and on the day of Pentecost, the people asked two questions. What does this mean and what must we do? Those were the two questions around the coming of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So with that Spirit, we're trying to figure out how can we develop interpretive data over a consistent data set? And then from that, how can we develop predictive elements for both givers and churches? In 2001, I read a book by Jim Collins called Good to Great. And what Jim Collins did uh, in Good to Great was he set out on a quest to identify those two or three, uh, and I think in his book there were five, but what are those predictive elements that make a difference between all the companies and those that just seem to be able to go up and to the right? So part of our thinking with this report is to try to sit down and acknowledge that the lion's share of churches, they're doing the same things, they have the same programs, so on and so forth, but what are those two or three predictive elements that not only help churches really take off with generosity, but also help disciple their givers to where they are giving not just from their W-2 and 1099 income, but also giving from their non-cash assets? 
Yeah, I mean, that, that definitely is a missed opportunity that most churches um, do not engage in, which is it's the same. I got an email just the other day from someone that asked me, who do I know? Well, first of all, I asked if my church receives non-cash gifts. That was the first question. And the second question was, who would I contact? And so I texted a friend of mine who's on staff and he said, mm, I should know that. I know there's somebody, but here, call this person and they'll tell you who it is. So here's my point. This is a large church and I'm sure that they receive those kinds of gifts, but it's not often enough and it's not well known enough that anyone on staff should be able to say, yeah, you go over here. This is the person that you need to talk to. Yeah. One of the things as we work with churches, Leo, is we we see that churches in COVID normalize the conversation about online giving and recurring giving. Uh, there were some churches doing that before COVID, but what COVID did was it normalized the conversation around that. We need to not just stop there. We need to normalize the conversation across our churches about all of these opportunities because 80% of Americans have an IRA. It should be common knowledge how to give from your IRA. Some of our members have appreciated stock. Why would we give appreciated stock instead of just giving cash? And so when I coach a church, um, I say, you know, during the offering moment, you put this thing on the screen that says ways to give. I said, why are we not including things like illiquid assets as just a normal option. And, mm -hmm. and we can see that developing on our, our coaching clients' giving pages. They have now developed very robust giving pages that include everything from stock to business interest to donor advised funds, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. We got to normalize the conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good stewardship, right? Why would you give out of cash and then pay a ton of tax when you could just give out of an appreciated asset, cut out the tax and and benefit the kingdom? Uh, it makes sense. Yep. And it is very much just a lack of education, honestly. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I still feel like after being in this ministry and focusing on biblical stewardship for over 20 years, I still feel like we're still at the beginning stage. Like we're still just talking about the basics and we should be so much further down in the conversation. So I love that you guys are challenging that and that you're actually equipping churches to do that. So I, if I heard you right, you said that the focus of the report was to look at the uh, at the data set for the church, so all of these churches actually representing the church, the big C, and also individual givers. Go more deeply into that. When you talk about individual givers, how are you segmenting them? Tell me more about that. So as we talk about individual givers, we're actually taking a look at generational giving, Leo. Mm -hmm. And so as we dig into that, we're trying to understand what's different about the silent generation versus the millennials, the baby boomers versus. And so beginning to take a look at that, because the thing that we know is that people are aging. And one of the things that is true is people age. And uh, and so the older generations are disappearing for any number of reasons. And so what's the impact and where's the stewardship? Where's the discipleship on younger generations? And we'll talk through some of those uh, things that we're seeing and some of the things that implications that we believe that's that's coming from that. So what about the the big C church lens? What, what's it telling us through this uh, report? Wow. Tim, you want to jump into some of the things that you've been uh, sure. that you've been geeking out about over the last couple of days? <laughs> Absolutely. So we understand that as we work with churches, churches will say, well, we're not big or maybe uh, we're not small. And how does this work? So what we wanted to do was we wanted to segment our churches into three natural breaks. OK, so as we looked at 331 churches, there was a natural break of churches under two and a half million a natural break between two and a half million and six million, and then another natural break for six million and above. There's some consistent things going on in the churches, but uh, there's also different things going on in the churches, because as we look at six years, we see that COVID, for example, uh, was something that has really impacted uh, the different segments of churches um, that were that were really um, uh, impacted by the coronavirus. So, for example, uh, over six years, churches under two and a half million 
reflect an overall growth year over year of 14.6%. Hmm. Well, on the surface, Leo, that sounds great, right? Uh, but the but the inconvenient truth about that is over those six years, uh, the rate of inflation has been 24%. Hmm. So actually, those churches over six years felt a minus 9.4 in terms of the overall giving. Uh, In churches under 2.5 million, we see that their participation is down 11.8%. Their gift count is down 10.5%. The giving that we're seeing there from the top 10%, the top 10% is providing about 53% of the support for these churches, and they're first-time givers are down 24.5%. Dwayne, what color would you add to that in this uh, under 2.5 million section? So, Tim, I think the the key, back to your point about the fact that negative 9.4, almost negative 10% down. So even though it feels like they're winning, they're actually, with inflation, actually losing ground. And so I think that's a a key piece. And then when you couple that with the what you said about the top 10% is 53% of the giving. Mm. The part that we'll see as we move on into some of the giver conversations, most of that giving is coming from the generations that are aging and are aging out of the church. And and I'll just use aging out as the picture. You look at that and you start to see a lot of forces coming in at at those churches from a lot of different directions that is going to make ongoing building the church harder and harder if we don't step into this space more effectively. And Leo, one of the things that we see consistent with our churches that is true of all of the not-for-profits is we're seeing this trend that fewer and fewer people are giving more and more year over year to support the church. That's not just an anomaly to the church. That's the not-for-profit sector across the board. And so, so that's where, to Dwayne's point, it becomes dangerous because those are givers that are over 60 years old. Yeah. No, I hope that, that this communicates well uh, with our audience today because, you know, I find it interesting because, you know, when you said that, uh, that the growth was, would you say 24%? No, I'm sorry, 14% increase, right? 14%, yep. But yet the actual, actual increase is not an increase, it's negative 9%. And that's because of inflation. So it may look on the surface that there's still the same amount, maybe even more coming in. But the bottom line is that it costs more to handle the ministry because of inflation, taking a big bite out of it. So the churches may be thinking, well, giving seems to be growing, but we're still not getting as much done. And that's the reality that we have to understand that these numbers really paint a true picture where we're not deceived and then find out, you know, after it's too late that we've been on the wrong trajectory. And now the church has to make some significant changes just to survive. Forget about maintaining. I'm talking about reducing to the point where it's not going to shut the doors. And that's what we're concerned about is because we, as we see this data, what we're seeing is that as these older generations are aging out, either they're either leaving the church or they're leaving because they're going to heaven. Either way, if their giving continues to increase before they leave, they're literally supporting the church up until the point where they're no longer there. And now there's nothing else to support it. And there's not enough time to build it. And this is why we're saying what we're saying is we need to be doing more to disciple people and help them grow in their generosity. It's interesting. A, a year ago, when I was sitting in my seat as an executive pastor, recognizing that the cost of of restriping the the parking lot or the cost of heating the the building or the cost of the people who are actually working because to all the costs for them were going up all those things were going up and so that pressure was going up and yeah their giving was going up some but not at the level of what of what the needs were and so this data actually reinforces everything that I was seeing but it's actually now data that's actually real which makes it more actionable than just what I perceived. And I think that's the piece that that we desperately want everyone to be listening to is that this data is real. Data doesn't lie. And we just need to know how to respond to it. Yeah. And part of the data that churches work through is their checking account balance, right? And the stack of bills that comes in 
on a regular basis. And Leo, I love what you said, because I share the same concern that you do. And that concern is, are churches turning in to expense managers, Mm. or are they attempting to grow generosity? And frankly, it's easier to try to sit down and mitigate expenses, right? Than to go out and try to try to disciple givers because that's a longer runway. <laughs> you know, it is. And I think that we should, as church leaders, be good stewards over what God entrusts to us through his people. But at the same time, if we get so focused on that and we miss the opportunity to, to disciple our givers, I think that's a lost opportunity. No, it definitely is. Definitely. So let's talk about some other discoveries that you guys have seen in this uh, in this report. What else have you found? Well, in the churches that are between two and a half and six million dollars, they saw an, a year over year increase in giving uh, since 2018 of 25.1 percent, which means adjusted by inflation, they're up plus one. So churches between two and a half and six million dollars are basically flat. They have not had the decreased amount in giver participation. They were only down about three and a half percent. Their gift count was only down eight percent. Uh, and they've done a better job of, um, of first-time givers, even though their first-time givers are down 16.4 percent uh, since 2018. Uh, it has not been nearly as um, uh, uh, significant as it has been for the smaller churches, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, and as we think through this, Leo, we always tie first-time givers to first-time attenders. Uh, and so, you know, it's almost like a backdoor metric of your effectiveness and outreach and evangelism uh, and, and your overall church growth. Dwayne, what, what would you add? Yeah, they they broke even. I think that's the key thing. And and I think even as we look at the churches over six million, Tim, they broke even pretty much also because they saw a 23.5% growth uh, over those six years. But I think one of the things that I find intriguing in this whole conversation is, is when we took a look at the impact of 2020 and the COVID year, across all segments, we saw 46% of the givers left 46% of the givers in 2019 did not give in 2020. Wow. And an overall picture that we see is the fact that of the givers in 2018, only 38.4 gave in 2023. And Mm -hmm. so the amount of turnover and churn from a giver perspective in the average church over those six years was pretty significant. I know even as an executive pastor, we had done a survey in 2022, and 40% of our church was new, mm. had come in since since 2020. And these numbers are pointing to that fact as well. So many of our churches, now whether people left to go to another church, whether they left the church, whatever happened, but the amount of re-engagement that a church has to do to actually bring in new givers to move people from no giving to first-time givers to second-time givers and on, as opposed to retaining existing givers, is significant. Now, and just many of the people that are coming in, you know, one of the things that we'll get to is we see growth taking place in the in younger generations, the number of givers there, but it's not offsetting the older generation that's leaving. Another thing, Leo, that's that's interesting trend-wise is the larger the church becomes the more dependent they become on their top 10 percentile of givers. Mm. So when you look at your two and a half uh, million church and below, we noted that 53% of their support came from the top 10% of givers. With that 6 million and above group, it's 62%. Mm. So, So the larger the churches become, the more and more dependent they become on a very small pool of top givers. And, you know, we, we have been fascinated by what we've seen in COVID and the top giver dependence, the over 60 dependence are both two things that we track in Mortarstone. COVID impacted both of those and created greater dependency on that baby boomer, silent generation uh, age group. And also, you know, upon the people who are the top 10% givers. 
This episode of the Stewardship Leader Podcast is sponsored by Generous Giving. We help host conversations about God and money in a neutral environment that never asks you for donations. These gatherings have led thousands to experience renewed purpose, stronger families, passionate marriages, and deeper relationships with God. To learn more about hosting a generosity retreat with members of your church, go to generousgiving.org. One of my friends who is also a stewardship leader in this church shared with me that one of the challenges they've had from COVID is that, yes, they lost about 40% of their members that did not come back. But then as 21, 22 was rolling around, they began to see growth, new people coming. But the challenge he has now is like most of these people are younger. They're younger families, so Gen Z, millennials, and they are not givers. Very few of them come in giving. And if they are giving, they're giving, like you said, a very small number. And I think that, the, you know, the kind of the elephant in the room for me is because I'm a Gen Xer, I'm a, a, a late Gen Xer, I guess I could say. What my generation and the generation before mine were consistently taught wasn't just year end giving or giving at certain times based on need. It was consistent giving. It was supporting the church through membership that also said, hey, if you're a member here, you support the church with your tithes and offering. So tithing, the word tithe and giving on a regular basis was used. And so I was trained that way. When I got older and I understood it for myself, I chose to continue to practice it because I believe it's a it's a good first step. But I don't know that we do as much of that like we used to. And if we do, I think some of the data you guys are going to share is that that's actually not moving the needle. So let's talk about that. How is How is this message lacking or maybe not working that's represented in this data. And what, what should pastors do with that? When I think about how I learned to give Leo, I grew up the son of a pastor. And as far as I can remember, I had an envelope on the corner of the kitchen table that with my Bible, walking out the door to go to church every week of my life, mm. there was an envelope. And so my parents taught me to give. I didn't get that from the church. Now, it's not that the church didn't do it, but and and this isn't uh, documented in data. It's just a hunch from our normal experience. Yeah. And I think that, that my generation, I'm a boomer, I think that our parents probably did a pretty good job of teaching their kids about giving mm-hmm. uh, and tithing. Uh, and then I think maybe that begins to decline through the generations Uh, You know, are the boomers and Gen Xers teaching their kids those same things that they were taught when they were children? And I think that that's where, you know, part of the answer lies somehow. How are we equipping our parents not just to give, but to transfer those values to their children? Because I think that our kids, our youth, our young adults are going to be far more responsive to their parents' teaching because they've seen the example than they are, you know, the sermon on Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah. More is caught than taught, right? Always. Yeah. More is caught than taught. So you're right. I mean, if, if, if I did not see my parents ever give, it would have been a lead for me, no matter what the pastor said from the pulpit for me to give. And if I did give that way, it would have been dropping a dollar in the plate as it went by. It wouldn't have been a tithe and then being challenged and to give above the tithe. So it is so much something that we pass on. But where does this knowledge come from? If we don't have that experience, if it's not passed on to us from someone that is faithful and understands this part of the the Christian walk, or our pastors, and I do I do want to say this in a loving way, pastors have a responsibility to teach the whole truth. And they shy away from talking about money because they don't want to be perceived the wrong way. I get it. It's a it's not an easy thing to talk about. But they don't shy away from talking about other topics like marriage and sex and raising children and prayer and and reading your Bible, all those things. So why do we shy away from it? It is, in my opinion, I've been doing this for a long time. It is a work of the enemy to keep the church ineffective, unresourced by creating this division and not allowing us to really receive the word of God. And pastors need to step up and do that. And then parents will be taught. And then those parents will, of course, pass it on to their children. 
I think, Leo, we see some of this borne out in the percentage of change between generations, the participation of, of generations. And this has been something that Dwayne has really w- drilled into. Thanks, Tim, because that's very much where I wanted to go next is the fact that we took a look, Leo, at the giver by generation in 2018 versus what it looked like in 2023. And just a couple that I would throw out to you is the fact of the silent generation. So those born between 1928 and 1945, we saw a 29% drop in the givers in the churches that we are looking at, 29% drop. We saw a 14% drop in the baby boomers. And so the 46 to 64 years, which, okay, so the percentages is interesting. But when you think about the fact of what that says is we saw a total of, out of those two generations, we saw almost 28,000 people stop giving or at least being able to be tracked through the churches. That doesn't mean that they, you know, as they, they passed on. They moved to where their kids were at. They stopped going to church. They stopped giving. Mm-hmm. Any of those things could be true. And, and so the the crazy thing is when you look at that is that's a lot of people. And then we saw a significant drop in Gen X as well. We saw over 16,000 Gen Xs stop giving to the churches that we're tracking. The good news is we saw millennials and Gen Zs step up their giving. But the key is the fact that baby boomers, the median giving for a baby boomer was $2,400. That's the median per year. Mm-hmm. The median for a Gen Zer is $235. Yeah. 10%. And so for, yeah. So for every baby boomer that leaves your church, mm. you're going to need 10 Gen Zers to step yeah, into that plate. Yeah. You're going to need four millennials to begin giving for every baby boomer, for every silent generation who leaves or stops giving. That's what you've got to do. And so if I look at the numbers of the people that we saw out of each of those generations who stopped giving, there was not enough givers to replenish that at that level. And so the only place that that came from, as we've already talked about, is the baby boomers and others. We saw the median giving go up over the years. The baby boomers increased their giving. The median giving climbed 41% by the baby boomers during those six years. Now, some of that is the fact of, I'll say, low giving baby boomers are some of the ones who left. So you see there's a lot of different things that took place there. But the key is the fact of right now, we don't see Gen Zs and millennials stepping into giving at a rate that's going to replace the departure of the baby boomers. And that's a significant challenge that uh, we see ahead for a church in America that's aging to a large degree. And so that's the real truth of what's what's happening. And interestingly enough, Leo, as we looked at it, recurring giving has not been connecting with millennials and Gen Z. So across the, the data set, boomers and Gen X their median gift count per year is 10 or 11. Uh, but Gen Z, Gen Z gives that $235, and that's three gifts. Hmm. Uh, millennials are giving $780 across seven gifts. So one of the things that, that we want to bring to light is for churches that are really counting on connecting uh, those two generations with recurring giving, that's not that's not connecting with them. Now, that doesn't mean they're not giving online or giving through the app, but they are not setting up that recurring gift that I think we had hoped they would. Yeah. So two things that occurred to me as you were talking about this, guys, is that, and and you mentioned this, that we are not training up these younger generations to support, not at the same level, but equally based on their income. Everybody says, well, of course, a millennial and a Gen Z is not going to make the same kind of income and I have the same access to wealth as a, you know, a a silent or a baby boomer generation might have. And that's true. We understand that. But understand some of these people, a a majority of them have either retired or about to retire. And so they do have more capacity based on their income if they're still working. But once they retire, that may actually slow down. But at the end of the day, we are very clearly seeing that it takes, just like in the Social Security um, Ponzi scheme that we have in, in America, 
Uh, it's going to take a lot more people. Well, it is. I mean, we all know that. It's, I don't mean that in negative. It's, oh, it is. It is. It is a Ponzi yeah. scheme. I mean, we hope we hope there's going to be enough money, but everybody's saying, no, it's actually less than and it is. And the reality is that we need more people to be providing the resources for the future. And right now, as the data shows, is a large portion of the church is being supported by a 10% group of people. And those people aren't going to be with us 20, 30 years from now. And so where is the church going to be if in 20, 30 years, Gen Zs, millennials, and even Gen Xs that are still around are not increasing their giving? And this is the frightening thing for me is that what you just said, Tim, is very, very key. They are not doing reoccurring giving. What that means is two things. One, they're not being taught to tithe like we were. There is not consistent, I'm going to give X amount based on how much God's blessed me. That's not really part of the conversation, or it's at least not sticking if it is a part of the conversation. It's not working. And at the same time, they're looking and saying, well, you know, I'm going to give, but I'm going to give based on when I feel like it, based on the impact I want to get. They're not prioritizing the health of the church and the entity of the church as something they need to protect. And I don't know who to blame for that. It's not about blaming anyone because that doesn't do any good, but it is about waking up the church and the leadership to say, who else is responsible for making sure that this message gets across? And this is why at CSN and you guys are so passionate about helping people understand how relevant this topic is, not because it funds the church. Yes, it does that. Because of our engagement in our generosity journey is something we do between us and God. And where we're not equipping people to say this part of your life, God cares about, and you need to understand what he wants you to do. It's not us telling you what to do. It's what he said to do. And if we're not doing that basic teaching, then we're leaving them to make a decision about money that is unbiblical. It's not based on principles. It's based on how they feel. So I, I, we, we need to do so much better in that area. And Leo, I think the, the numbers that we've been able to pull out regarding tithers in the church is something that points to that as well. Mm. And what we've done is, as where we have people's addresses, we're able to do based upon looking at address and then taking the census data of what the median income is for that address, we can ide identify. It's not exact, but it's reasonable Close. about the fact mm -hmm. of what we believe tithing would look like for that individual. And as we've done that, the best case scenario is, is that 11.2% of baby boomers are tithing today. And that's a less than two percentage points better in 2023 than what it was in 2020 or 2018. Mm, wow. Now you think about that and it's like, okay, well, hey, it's improving. Well, there's a couple different ways that that's improved. One is the baby boomers who were not tithing are the ones who stopped giving, which actually probably makes sense because those who are tithing are actually more attached to the church and would probably keep going. So it just went up because of attrition of the people who weren't. Or potentially some churches are seeing growth because they're actually teaching it better than others. But I think the key is the fact of moving from 8.9 to 11.2 is not a, a recipe to say that anything's going to be solved through this process. And so I think that's one of the things that that we can talk quite a bit about. And I know as Tim and I have had a lot of conversations on this, there's a lot of things that churches are trying to do to address this. But the thing is over these six years, the data does not point to the fact that there has been a solution identified. And Leo, I know you you guys are working hard at this. Tim's got some things and so. Yeah, I was just gonna add, you know, when those baby boomers retire, they then move into fixed income. And so, so their fixed income is going to be impacted by inflation, which may adversely affect their giving. Um, inflation also hurts the millennials and the Gen Zers. The only difference is they don't have any assets uh, in their portfolio. They just have their cash. So what we have to do with our Gen Xers, our baby boomers, our silent generations, we've got to get them to think differently about how they give uh, because they're, you know, they may say, well, I can't afford to give. And when I hear a boomer say, I can't afford to give, what I hear them say is, I don't have enough cash flow to give. 
Uh, that's different from saying, I can't, I don't have the money. No, you have the money. It's just over here. How are we going to leverage discipleship and education to show them how they can give rather than just continue to depend on, you know, that that monthly check that comes from their, their direct income? Well, we have a few more minutes left. So what I wanted to do is, you know, we talked about a lot of the stats and I know you guys will dig deeper into this. I'll have you talk about that in a moment, but let's talk about some solutions here. What, what does it all mean? I mean, obviously some of this data is honestly, a, it's a bit depressing. So what do we do with it? What needs to happen? For me and Tim alluded to some of this, Leo, and we've already talked about some of this, but one, we've got to teach and equip our older generations to help build the bridges mm. for the future, you know? And so how do they create endowments? How do they create capability where their giving lives beyond them while the church also has to then really invest and really dig deep into discipling the younger generations? Yeah. Because over time, the, the younger generations will be able to step into higher earnings now, whether or not they'll ever attain what the baby boomers and, and others have achieved, I think that's a argument that I hear a lot about right now. And a lot of people would say no. So, okay. But the fact of the matter is they're still not learning how to give. And frankly, if we can disciple each young generation, what it means to truly tithe, I've always been a huge believer that God's provided every church, every dollar that it needs. It's just residing in the pockets of people. And the church's job is to figure out how to shake it loose out of them by teaching them truth. So I think it's really those two things is we have to work with the older generations to build the bridges while we're discipling the younger generations to step boldly across those and lead the church into the future. And we'll unpack that more later on. But I know Tim's got some additional thoughts. Yeah. Just, just a couple of things. I want to circle back, Leo, to what I said earlier. We have to normalize the conversation about all the ways that people can give. Mm. Uh, we've got to understand that as a part of that, stewardship and generosity is an all-hands-on-deck ministry. I know that churches have youth pastors and Gen X pastors and worship leaders and senior pastors Stewardship and generosity needs to touch every one of those job descriptions because every one of them spends money from the annual operating budget. So we've got to normalize not only conversation with our givers, we've got to normalize uh, and share the load among all of our staff. And the other thing, uh, Leo, that we're seeing some success with is we've got to figure out a way metaphorically, to move the generosity message from the platform to the pew. We've got to figure out who are going to be our champions within our church of generosity, uh, about generosity, and how are we going to get them to sit down knee to knee with people and just share their story. Uh, the whites of their eyes matter, Leo. You know, we're not going to fix this with a sermon series, just simply because we haven't. But if we can begin to introduce this as a part of our one-on-one -on -one conversations, uh, and again, normalization is key, I think that will be the fastest route to help us do some things in the future. If I can add one more thing, we were talking with Russell James this week, and uh, Russell communicated to us that not-for-profits are moving away from an annual report. They're starting to do a quarterly report uh, that is less robust, but more frequent. And, you know, one of the things that we would suggest churches consider, Leo, is instead of sending just the annual uh, contribution statement for taxes, what if you did that quarterly and mm -hmm. attached to that quarterly statement, not just an update on their participation, but an update on the wins and a brief statement about the future. So I think more frequency is going to be helpful as well. I couldn't agree more. I think I think churches really miss such an opportunity, uh, especially those that are, have been faithful to give, whether they've given a tithe or whether they've just been given a little bit consistently, not acknowledging that and not encouraging people to continue to be generous, to understand how that generosity is impacting the kingdom. I don't know. It's just, to me, it makes no sense at all. My wife and I have tithed ever since we we were together 35 years this year. And I don't recall, I honestly, I tell you this, I don't recall receiving 
a tax statement or getting an email to go to the tax statement and download it that impressed me and made me feel encouraged. It was a transaction. I said, thank you very much, but that doesn't help me want to give more. If I didn't have the conviction that this is the relationship that I have with God, and I give regardless of where the check goes to, that doesn't matter to me. It's going to be a local church because I always feel that that's where that's where God decided to put his name, and that's 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 his entity for spreading the gospel and resourcing the world with truth. But if I wouldn't have had that conviction, how easily would it have been to be like, man, nobody really cares if I give or not. They don't even acknowledge me. And I say that not to shame churches or to say that they're messing up all across the board. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we have so much room for improvement. And I want to come back to what you said, Tim, which is this. Having a stewardship and generosity focus in your discipleship, whether you want to call that a stewardship ministry, whether you want to call that a generosity, it doesn't matter. It's just words. Ultimately, the communication around money, it cannot come from just a sermon series. Listen, I have never, my life has never been transformed consistently and gradually by just listening to sermons. It's done through life group. It's done through personal study. It's life on life. And you said that. And pastors need to understand, yes, they need to speak to it from the pulpit. They need to impart the burden of the Word of God that makes us want to go deeper. But at the end of the day, you got to get in front of people and challenge them. How does this Word impact you, and what are you going to do about it? Because if we don't hold people accountable, then we're really not interested in their growth. We just want them to show up, tip, and go on about their day. That's not what the church is. That's not what, what I did as a pastor. And none of us go into ministry for that reason. So... I'm just so grateful that you guys are bringing all this information to light because there are missed opportunities that we can definitely capitalize on. And I know that you guys will be at the CSN Forum, which is going to be in just a few weeks, March 4th through the 6th. We're going to be in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at uh, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. And this is a three-day event that CSN hosts, and you guys are going to be there. You're going to actually do a deeper dive into the study and share some of the information so that people will have a better visual, because it's hard on a podcast to see these numbers, but they'll have a better understanding of how to interpret this data, what to do with it, and what they can do as a result of understanding it. And then I know you guys are also doing a webinar in March. Uh, so I, here's what I encourage those who are listening. Continue to connect with us, with Mortarstone, as they continue to learn more from the study, because they're, they, they haven't finished their study. They haven't finished gathering this information. This is just the start of it. And it is something they're going to be doing every year. Hopefully, with cooperation with us, we can continue to bring this to our network and all you guys uh, as you're learning more about how to incorporate this into your church. We want you to have an expression of stewardship and generosity in your church, not because it will fund the church, because it will turn people's hearts to Jesus, and they will be committed to him. And like Dwayne said, the money that's in their pocket that God's blessed them with, they won't have a problem giving that to God. They might have a problem giving it to you. <laughs> Um, but you can change that. If you're teaching truth, they're going to trust you and they're going to say, yes, they're doing this for my good. We need to take that opportunity. Tim? Yeah, one of the one of the things I would just say in conclusion, Leo, is that if our listeners are interested in kind of knowing the progress report of this, uh, what's coming up prior to the, the forum, after the forum, the best way to get that current information is by following Mortarstone on LinkedIn. Mm. So They'll, if they'll follow Mortarstone on LinkedIn, that will help them have the most current, latest updates on what we're doing. Okay. Well, we will add that link into the podcast notes. So if you're listening to this on your phone, you can uh, search that through your app. And um, I do encourage you guys to come and meet Tim and Dwayne and their team. They're going to be at the forum sharing this. One thing I will tell you about these men is that they love what they get to do because of what the difference this can make in the church uh, and in, in people's lives individually. We care about the church, but we can't forget that the church is individuals, they're families, they're people that God has entrusted with purpose and callings, and we want them to pursue that, and we want the church to be healthy because it is the bride of Christ, right? So we want to protect it. All right, well, guys, thank you so much for being part of this. Any last words as we close? Yeah, Leo, I just want to say thanks. And, and partnering with you and the CSN team is is incredible because we have the same heart. And as you just expressed, our desire is to see people grow. And I know Tim and I both can talk about our own personal journey of how stewardship and generosity has transformed our lives. And that's what we hope for and pray for for every person that's involved in the church today. Wonderful. Well said. 
I appreciate that. And and I also, again, want to thank you for being part of this. And for those of you that are listening, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the podcast. If it's been helpful to you, do me one quick favor. Well, two, actually. One, share it with another pastor or church leader that could benefit from this. And hopefully they'll get to engage with Tim and, and his team and, and everyone that at the Mortarstone team and really learn more about how they can leverage this for the benefit of God's people. And then if you would, leave us a review so that more people find this podcast. That's really the only way that people will know we exist. And then last, come to the forum. If you want to know more about what generosity and stewardship looks like in the church, there's no better place to come. It is the premier event that will bring churches from all over the United States, even from abroad. We do have some folks coming from Australia and England sometimes, because this is a global church problem. You know, giving is important to God. And we were on the forefront helping people understand, especially church leaders, understand how to navigate this. So come join us. You will not find a more giving group anywhere. I'm telling you, these guys are amazing. From our partners to our uh, network of church leaders, they're amazing. And we'd love to see you there. You can find out more about Mortarstone, everything they're doing. Again, the link in the podcast notes to their LinkedIn you can follow them there so you can learn more as they're unfolding this process. And then also, if you want to come to the forum or learn more about CSN, you can go to christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Love to have you part of the team. Thanks again for being with us. We'll see you next time on Stewardship Leader.